day, and uh, I am a fellow New Englander. It's such a, an honor to be with you and to open up God's Word uh, together this morning. I said one thing I say on a hot New England day like this in the summer is that New Englanders, we have the privilege of complaining about four seasons. So <laughs> that's what it means to be from New England. And I grew up in a small town in north central Massachusetts, and I know it's a small town for two reasons. One is Sometimes when we were on our way to church, we had to stop, and the traffic jam was caused by the cows crossing the road. So that's one of the signs. But the bigger one, and if you have any sense of New England, you will get this 100%. I grew up in a town that was so small that it didn't even have a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> But revival has come. There is one there now. It's funny. I was pulling off the highway today. I noticed the attraction sign for your, for your exit has, has like six restaurants, and two of them are Dunkin' Donuts. So I know I'm among my people now. That's an amazing thing. But I grew up in a small town, and I grew up in a, a, a typical New England church with 60 people. And my mom and dad were the kind of volunteers that every pastor dreams about. Okay? They, were, we never took, they never took a check from the church, but they were involved in everything. Youth ministry, Awana. They were elders. They, they taught Sunday school. They did everything. We did that together as a family. If, if the church doors were open, not only were we there, we probably unlocked the doors. All right, That was sort of our family upbringing. And I remember I uh, came to faith in Jesus at a young age and was baptized. And the great thing about being in a small church is as soon as you're baptized, they're like, welcome to the team here's a job, all right? That's basically how it works. And I got to be involved in church from a young age. And there was this, this thing between the days of the hymnal and these new digital projectors where this, this sort of dark ages of worship where we had these things called overhead projectors. Some of us remember those things? Yes, all right. So I was the director of overhead transparencies at our little church. And uh, here's the thing that's awesome about that. I got to do different things. But from a very young age, my parents instilled in me, that church instilled in me this, this truth that I still hold dear, is that church is not just a place to go. It's a people to belong to. And it's a mission that God has called us into. And I still believe that with all of my heart. You know, I've gotten to do a lot of different things, right, uh, from early days in ministry up until now. All kinds of different things, working at camps, working on staff at a church, traveling the country with a guitar on my back, and now getting to be a part of Berea, which I just love. Um, but through it all, it's really always been about the local church. It's about the gospel of Jesus, and the, the church is the hope of the world. And so what you're a part of here at North River uh, I just want to remind you that when Jesus left the earth, he didn't start a conference, okay? He started the local church. And so everything that, that I want to be about is helping breathe life into the local church here in New England. I think God is doing amazing things. And you have a great, uh, you have a great pastor. You have a great staff team. Todd's a longtime friend. I've got to know Christy and some of the other folks here. And I just want to encourage you that North River is making an impact on this region. And I want to fuel uh, that in you uh, even more so today. And uh, hopefully what we share together in, from the Word of God is going to help with that. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Old Testament narrative today. 2 Chronicles 20. Um, and as you kind of make your way there, in my office at home, I have a whiteboard. And on that whiteboard, I typically write a question or a thought or some idea that, of what God is sort of pushing into my life. What is it that he's teaching me? What is it that he's instructing me? What are the questions that he's asking me? And over the last year, one of those big questions that kind of was, I was wrestling with was this question. What are you so afraid of? What are you so afraid of? And I just asked that question of my own heart on a daily basis. You know, go before God. What am I so afraid of? But I have some comedians in my family, all right? So my wife and kids, they thought they would be pretty funny. So I walked into my office a few days later, and this was what was underneath. It said sharks, all right? So very literal interpretation. And then they have that sort of New England sarcastic wit thing going on. So the next day I walked in, and it said, I'm afraid of whiteboards. All right, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> so, but on a serious note, I just ask you today to, to press into this question. If you were to ask yourself very earnestly and honestly, what am I so afraid of? What am I so afraid of? Where are the places in my life, if you were to look into the dark closets of your own heart, which we don't love to do, but if you were to look there, what would be the things that are holding you captive? Where would fear show up? This is a very personal question for you. But what if we ask this question also of all of us? What if we ask this question of us collectively, both as North River, this community of faith that God has put into this community here? Or if we ask this of the Big C Church around New England, what are we so afraid of? And today I want to ex explore this passage in Second Chronicles that has been really meaningful to my wife Bethany and I as we've sought the heart of God in our calling to invest in the church in New England. Second Chronicles 20. So we're going to start with verse 3, and it, verse 3 picks up with this phrase, three words. Jehoshaphat, our main character in our story today, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Meet Jehoshaphat. He is the king of Judah, and we're going to look today at why he was terrified, how he responded, and how God showed up in his life. So first, a little backdrop to Jehoshaphat, our terrified, shaking-in-his-boots king. In the litany of kings that we find in 2 Chronicles, Jehoshaphat is by far, without contest, one of the best kings. Really, you find as you read the Old Testament, there's just a litany of just either dysfunctional or outright evil kings. And so when you come across someone like Jehoshaphat, there's rare exceptions where you find somebody who is just a king that's pursuing righteousness. It just sticks out like a sore thumb, and that's Jehoshaphat. He's one of those people. He is bringing, if you look at the chapter before, he's bringing righteous reforms into the, the community of Judah, and everything is going great. The markets are up. The uh, op-ed in the Judah Times has real positive reviews, and everything is going great. High approval marks for Jehoshaphat. And then into that moment, this moment a sort of this glimmer of light in the history of Judah comes the beginning of this chapter, the back story to why Jehoshaphat was afraid. And we pick up at the very beginning of this chapter, it says this, Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. Now, an army marching against you is never a good thing. But having, this was not an army. This was three allied war nations that had come and they were going to wage war against Judah. A vast army. If you ask Jehoshaphat, it was not going to be a fair fight or a long fight. And it makes sense to us when the evil king gets attacked. But why Jehoshaphat? Why the righteous king? What was God doing? What was he up to? Jehoshaphat was afraid. Friends, you and I live on a battlefield. It may not feel like that every day, but in the spiritual realm, you and I live on the front lines of a battlefield. And I don't have to tell you that the battle can be very, very real. The call of Jesus is a hard call. Come and die. Take up your cross and follow me. And I think that as a generation, we feel this more clearly today, maybe than some of the generations that have gone before us, in this sense that the, the false utopia, this idea of sort of a cozy cultural Christianity that really isn't Christianity at all, is, is just being destroyed from underneath us. And especially here in New England, where our culture, for maybe even for generations, has worn the badge of being a post-Christian area as a badge of honor we understand that we are standing on the front lines of a spiritual battlefield. It's a place where fake won't fly. If you were to measure 
many of our communities in the Northeast by the standards that international missions organizations use to qualify unreached people groups, many of our communities that are represented in our area would qualify under their standards. That's a fascinating thing. Sometimes it's a disheartening thing. For me, it's an exciting thing because we are on the front lines. But now the question is, how do we dance in those minefields? How do we walk out and not walk in fear as we walk onto the battlefield of faith that God has set before us on a daily basis? And that's what we're going to explore today. The truth is, many of us are paralyzed by fear. Many of us in Christ, we are given and called warriors, but we're fighting like captives. And I want to give you some good news today. To be afraid is normal. Fear is not sin. I'll say it to you this way today. Hear this today. Fear is a signal and not a sentence. Fear is a signal and not a, sense, a sentence. It's normal. It's an alert signal. On the dashboard of our life, when that light of fear goes off, it is telling us that something is going on. And Jehoshaphat was afraid, and Jehoshaphat should have been afraid. It was not an irrational fear in his life. It demonstrated that Jehoshaphat was a real leader and a real person. But what did he do with it? The next part of, Jeho of verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. When fear is signaling in your life, when the dashboard is going off, how do you respond? Fear can drive us a few places. Fear can drive us to despair. It can drive us to delusion. Or, like Jehoshaphat, it can drive us to a godly de dependence. Despair is a hopelessness. It'll never get better. All I see is the problem. All of my vision is clouded by the thing that's right in front of me. That is despair. Delusion is everything's ducky. Nothing's wrong. Imagine if Jehoshaphat had said, no big deal, guys. We got this. No, that would not have been a good response. But what did Jehoshaphat respond with? He responded with a godly sense of dependence. He pressed in in his faith in God. When we choose dependence, we say, I am not going to put fear on the throne of my life. When we choose dependence, we say, I'm not going to put myself on the throne of my life. I'm only going to put on the throne of my life the one who holds it all together. That is our call. And the bigger the view of God is in our life, the smaller the fear becomes, and the clearer our grasp on reality will be. That is what good and godly disciples, good and godly leaders do. They recognize the reality of the battlefield, but they seek God in the midst of that reality. Verse 3 continues, Jehoshaphat was afraid, set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. In all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now, I think most of us are tracking pretty, pretty well on this so far. When we're afraid, seek God. Pretty easy message, pretty simple. Hard to live out, right? None of us. Would, but I don't think there's anything controversial in what I've said before. When you're afraid, depend on God. Now, here's where it pivots a little bit. Because Jehoshaphat did not just seek the Lord. He invited everyone into the reality of that fear, into that situation so that they could together pray and seek God. He called an assembly. 
Let me say it to you this way this morning. Brave leaders choose courageous vulnerability over crippling isolation. Brave leaders choose courageous vulnerability over crippling isolation. I don't know about you, but the last thing that I want to do when I'm facing fear is call an assembly. All right? That is not my MO. That is not my natural instinct to just let everybody know. And now this is not just like crazy people broadcasting all of their problems. All right? We all have that friend on Facebook. I am not talking about that, okay? But what I am talking about is this authentic invitation to people in our community to share in our fear, to share in our moment of crisis. And that is what Jehoshaphat models in a beautiful way, to not just desperately seek God in our prayer closet, but to desperately seek God in our small group, to desperately seek God as our community of faith. And this is something that I will say, especially as Northeasterners, not necessarily our strength, all right? We don't instinctively embrace this idea of letting other people into our discomfort and into our struggle. It's not, it's unnatural. But that is what good and godly men and women do when the battle is overwhelming. That is what good and godly men and women do when the battle is overwhelming. I don't care who you are. You cannot fight alone. You cannot fight alone. You see, the story of Christianity is not that today we have a room full of people that have it all together. In fact, if anything, the story of Christianity is that this is a room full of people that know that we don't have it all together. This is a room full of people that know that without Christ, we were dead and lost in our sin and shame. But in Christ, we are made alive together and grafted into this new community. Part of the gospel is that it creates this new community, this beautiful mosaic, diverse in opinion and ideas and, and age and ethnicity, this mosaic, this welcome to the new dysfunctional family called the church, all right? That's what we are. We are a dysfunctional family of courageous faith, all right? Let's put that up on the website, all right? Welcome to the family. This new community of grace that we fight together, we fight for each other, we do not live, move, lead, serve, worship exclusively on our own. None of those things are we designed to do exclusively on our own. And what if in your life, the pathway to breakthrough that you've been seeking so desperately is actually realized when you start to admit to those around you that you don't have it all together and you start living with others in desperate pursuit of God. People who have it all together don't need to live in desperation for God. But that's what God has called us to embrace and called us to live into. And what if today God's not calling you to a new tactic, a new method, seven steps to a better life? What if God is calling you to lead scared and to invite other people into your battle? The enemies are lined up on the far side of the sea and they outnumber us. They're allied against us, but we don't run away. We run together. Jethro calls an assembly. He calls an assembly together, and he fasts, and they pray together. 
It's this beautiful moment, and I implore you, I don't have time to unpack every single uh, piece of this today, but there's so many layers to this. Like, it's a multi-generational thing. It actually mentions in there that the little ones are there with them, the men and the women and the children. Everybody's together. They're seeking the heart of God as uh, all together. And then Jethro rolls out this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It's so instructive for us in the way that he prays. Like, first of all, he reminds them of the attributes of God, who God is. Verse 6 says this, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. He reminds them first of the attributes of God. Then he reflects on the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God in the past. Verse 7, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? He says, remember what God did? Remember what God promised? And then, and only then, he petitions God for help. He asks God for help. Verse 12, skipping down a few verses. Oh, our God, Will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And that's why we together gather in this rhythm of weekly worship. It's why we gather together in these rhythms of small groups and community. It's why we do what we do together so that we can, just like the people that Jehoshaphat led, remind ourselves of who God is, his character, his nature that is unchanging from generation to generation. That we remind ourselves of his faithfulness. Here at at your church, you're, you're reminding yourself of the 30 years of faithfulness that God has poured out upon this community of faith. And God's promises, that he, he promises so many things throughout Scripture that are for us, and that we would also bring to him our need and our desperation. That's why we get together. That's why we gather. And then Jehoshaphat ends his prayer with this amazing line. This is, this is unbelievable. I love this. Jehoshaphat ends his prayer with this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Oh, friends, that we would pray those kind of prayers. That we would put that as our motto. I think we should have that on T-shirts and coffee mugs, all right? Oh, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a sweet and beautiful posture of worship that we would bring before God to say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What would change in our lives if we prayed those kind of prayers? What would change in our community if that was the way that we came before God? What would change in the spiritual climate of New England if every church had that kind of a heart? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Friends, this is the pathway of desperate worship. Jehoshaphat prays. They seek God. And then God answers them. Verse 13. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. He said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. 
What a great word. It's also interesting that God chose not to speak these words through Jehoshaphat. He chose to speak it through one of the other leaders of the nation, reinforcing this need to share in community. The battle is not yours, but but is God's. Tomorrow, skipping down, go against them. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. And see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. It records then that they worshiped God. And it's interesting, it says, and it notes in Scripture, that they worshiped God loudly. It was a loud worship. And then early the next morning, they rose. And this is the instructions, verse 20, that Jehoshaphat laid out for them. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. It's like, wait, what? Wait a minute. Like, I'm kind of tracking with this up until this point. And then he's like, get the choir. Put them at the front. Get the musicians. Send them to the front lines. Put the worship. I'm in worship teams. I don't want to be in the front of the battle. I don't know. I want bodybuilders at the front lines, not the corral. I don't want to be sending people out there with harps and trumpets. I want to send people out there with swords and axes. I want the warriors, not the worship team. Maybe the drummer. We'll send the drummer to the front lines. <laughs> but what's the point of this? Why does God instruct this way? Why does Jehoshaphat lead them in this way? Why would God call them to go headlong into a battle that they were helpless to win? Here's the thing. At any point in this story, God could have flicked his little finger and wiped out the enemy. He could have broken the alliance of the enemy on the far side of the sea and they never would have marched against him. He could have, while they were praying and fasting, he could have brought destruction to those who were coming against them. But in God's sovereign providence, his design was to invite the nation of Judah not to avoid the problem, but to walk headlong into it with nothing but their instruments in their hands. Here's the point of this. Desperate worship lifts our eyes up and lets our defenses down. God was calling them to skip the armory. God was calling them to lay down their swords. God was calling them to walk headlong into a battle that they had no chance of winning with all of their defenses down and all of their focus entirely on him. And God showed up, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. We started off this morning with the question, what are you so afraid of? What are you so afraid of? Why was this theme so prevalent in my life over the last year and a half or so? Well, let me tell you a little bit about 2018 for me and kind of open up a story a little bit. So the church that I I belong to in Westboro, Mass., we're part of a network of about 90 churches around the Northeast that help plant churches, that help strengthen churches and send missionaries. Uh, It's sort of a denominational affiliation. And I've been a part of that network for a little while, serving on the board and just trying to help be a part and serve in any way that I could to help churches in the region in in that capacity. And I was really good friends with the the district leader. His name was Brent. And Brent was a great guy, is a great guy, and um, loved working along with him. And then around the turn of the year, about uh, 2018, Brent uh, followed a call 
to go serve back in the Midwest and to be closer to his family. And I got a phone call in that season where Brent uh, called me up. He said, Andy, uh, I have a job for you. He says, I'd like you to take over in an interim capacity to kind of help lead our network forward. Um, And I'd love you to consider the possibility of putting your name in, and maybe this would be what God would have for you uh, going forward. And this was not, this was like 0% on my radar, all right? This was not like an aspiration. It was not a design I had in my life. And, uh, but I just feel like when God says, calls you to something, you just say yes. You know, if, if, it's, if it's of God, you just say yes. And so I walked into that, that opportunity. I still was working full-time for Berea, but in a part-time role, I was helping foster that network for that year. And, and honestly, I found a lot of joy in it. It was really great. It was something I, I found that I enjoyed a lot. And um, God kind of said, hey, make yourself available. Be open to this possibility. And um, so it was hard, though, because to be honest with you, um, most of the time, the people that they pick for this have a different resume than I have, had different experiences than I have. And I thought, well, if God wants me to do it, though, I will, I'll walk in obedience. But it was not easy. And I remember last June, uh, I was in Indiana with my wife, Bethany, and we were attending the national convention of this nomination. And it's hundreds of leaders and pastors who have influence throughout the nation and other people who hold the same job all around the country. And so I'm in meetings and, and in classrooms and environments with them. And... Um, it was interesting because I was kind of playing it down. Like people are like, oh, are you interested in this job? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see what God does, that kind of thing. And I was playing it coy. I was kind of hiding behind some false humility, and, uh, which really, to be honest, is just insecurity. Um, and, uh, but Bethany, my wife, as so often happens, like she just spoke a word of truth into my heart. She was my Jehaziel in this moment, just declaring what God has. She was the conduit of the Holy Spirit, as she so often has been in my life. And this is what she spoke over me. She said this, you need to stop pretending. You need to be okay with going all in on something that might not work out. You need to stop guarding your emotions and putting up a wall of self-defense. There's just like, mic drop moment, all right? And it just hit me so true so true that I was, I was so half-hearted in what God was calling me to do because I was worried about damage to my reputation or disappointment in my own experience. And this is what God was calling me to do, just like the nation of Judah. He says, I want you to walk headlong into the battle, and I don't want you to take any armor with you. I want you to go headlong, and I want you to skip the armory, and I want you to keep your focus and your eyes on me. And to follow me with all your mind, with all your heart, with all of your strength. Now, this is the point where I'd love to say, and then it all worked out awesome. And I put a bow on it in the end. (laughs) That's not what happened. But God had a better gift for me in the midst of that. You see, that wasn't the job that God had for me. And I enjoyed that season of serving in that capacity, but God had a different person to to lead our network forward. And and it was very disappointing when I received that phone call, to be honest with you. But God gave me such freedom in that. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One is because I have just the great gift in my life of great counsel. I have men and women of grace who've gone before me. I have best friends like my wife, Bethany, who speak truth and grace over me, who have my back, who meet me in my discomfort, and who are there for me. Another thing is just that God led me, as he does, and many of you can resonate with this reality, that sometimes God takes you on a journey just to bring you back home and to remind you of what you have in front of you and to encourage you to double back down into what's before you. 
And that's been this reality. I mean, I can play forward the story. There's a lot to it, but God's just opened up new doors and opportunities in what I'm doing at Berea, and I'm super excited about that. I feel like we have a long horizon line on that. But finally, I think the biggest lesson in all of it was this. And this is something that all of us know. If you've been around Jesus, you've been around church for any time, intellectually, we all got this. Practically, walking it out, not so easy. And that is this truth. This is the way I would describe it. I would rather run into a losing fight against a vast army with all of my defenses down, but with God on my side, than to go anywhere without him. I've learned in this season that disappointment is a gift on the pathway of discipleship. I've come to understand that fear, it's a signal. It's not a sentence. The, Ju- the army of Judah marched into battle with no chance of winning on their own. They set the worship team at the front. They sang at the top of their lungs, and God showed up in a way that they could not have imagined. Verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. What an incredible thing. God did not just bring victory to them. He vanquished the enemy completely. This wasn't like some other stories in Scripture where they banged some pottery together and the army ran off. He wiped out the enemy incredibly, unbelievably. Do we believe that that's the God we serve? Do we believe in a God that is that powerful, that if he wants to, that's the kind of victory he can bring to us? And do we live in that freedom, that fear is a signal, not a sentence? Do we live in such a way that we invite other people into our battles and don't keep them away? Do we pray audacious prayers like, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Oh, that we would be men and women who in our desperation worship in our brokenness, lift our eyes up and drop our swords to march as worshipers into the fight, knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord. Friends, whether you have scars from battles long ago and whether or not we win or lose today, we know that the victory in the end is once and for all and that God is on our side. He fights for us, he goes before us, and he is greater than anything that we could imagine. May God meet us on our battlefield. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, which is truth. And God, I pray for my friends here today. I pray that as we walk in whatever context of life you've given us. Some of us, it's little ones. For some of us, it's the workplace. For some of us, it's the ball field. It's the school. Whatever context you have set us in, God, I pray that we would see with spiritual eyes, that we would, as we saw today, God, that we would see our neighborhoods and our neighbors through the heart that you have. God, we pray that you would lead us forward today, that you would vanquish the enemies in our lives. And God, I pray that we would press in together God, there's some people in this room who have hesitated to join a small group. Maybe that's their step today. God, there are people in this room who have real struggles that they know they need to share with others. May they live that out. 
And God, we thank you that you are with us, you are for us, and you fight for us. It's in the great and the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.